Okay, for those of you who are new, we have been going through Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. Paul went, and here's the gospel he preached. He said, guess what? You are sinners deserving of hell. But God in his love became a man, was nailed to a cross to pay the price for your sin. And if you trust in Christ, you are saved. You are saved by faith in Christ. So Paul went and preached that gospel to these different regions in Galatia. Churches formed. He is back home uh, in Israel. He finds out that false teachers have gone through all these churches that he planted. And these false teachers preached a false gospel. Here's the gospel they preached. That Paul is an idiot. Paul is not a true apostle. He's a second-hand apostle. And his gospel is wrong. You can't be saved as easy as just believing in Christ. Don't think you're getting in that easy. You Gentiles, you need to be circumcised like Jews. You need to keep all the the dietary laws that the Jews kept. You need to keep all the festivals in the law of Moses or you can't be justified. You can't be declared right before God. So now they're like, okay, what do we do? Do we trust in Christ alone or do we need to do all these things to be justified? So Paul writes really an angry letter to the Galatians. Three major points. The first section of the letter is autobiographic. He defends the fact that he really is an apostle. That's the first two chapters. Next two chapters, that's where we are now, is apologetic. Apologetic doesn't mean I'm sorry. Uh, The word uh, apologetic means defending the truth of something. So in chapter 3 and 4, that's the heart of the letter, where Paul is arguing that you are justified by faith alone, not by faith plus works. Then the last two chapters, he he gives application. Isn't it nice that he did a three-point outline for us? Okay. Now, in this middle section here, Paul gives several arguments to prove that you are saved, that you are justified by faith alone, not by faith plus keeping the law. Uh, the argument from experience. He says, let me ask you a question. When I first came to you and preached the gospel, did you receive the Holy Spirit because you kept a bunch of laws or because you believed? The answer is because you believed. So it's the argument from experience. Then there's the argument from Abraham. Abraham, uh, he's the father of faith. How did he get declared right before God? It was by faith alone because he is declared righteous in chapter 15 of Genesis. He doesn't get circumcised until chapter 17, 14 years later. He was already declared just by faith alone, not by circumcision, not by rituals, not by works. That's the argument from Abraham. The argument from Scripture, he quotes four Old Testament Scriptures to show that it has always been salvation by faith alone, not by works. Then the argument from the covenants. God gave two covenants, one through Abraham. It was an unconditional promise. And then he gave a second covenant through Moses, which had all kinds of laws and conditions. 
His point is the Abrahamic covenant is unbreakable. The Mosaic covenant has faded away now that Christ is here. You guys are going by the Mosaic covenant. That's done with. Go back to the Abrahamic covenant. If, and that's, I know that's a lot, what I just said there. Go back and get the, uh, uh, the sermon on that one to, to get straight on that. Um, guardian, basically he's saying the law, the Mosaic law, is kind of like a nanny. Just like um, little children have nannies, and they don't do this, don't do stand up straight, don't spill your beans, don't spill your three beans salad, okay? Um, but then when you grow up, you're set free from the nanny. The law was the nanny to bring you to Christ. Now that Christ is here, you don't need a nanny to tell you do this, don't do that, Okay? Then there's the argument from heirs, not heirs, heirs. Um, Even though you may be the heir of a kingdom, when you're a little kid, you're like a slave. You want to be in slavery. Wait a minute, grow up and enjoy the freedom you have of adulthood in Christ. Don't be under the old law. You're an heir of Abraham. The promise to Abraham. Now today we want to look at the argument from destruction. What's that? Well, um, Paul is going to get real practical now. These are all pretty theological, philosophical. Now he gets practical. Here's what happens when you let legalists into your church, teaching your people. It, just, it brings destruction spiritually okay now that's all kind of a of an introduction let's read the text first galatians 4 formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods but now that you have come to know god or rather to be known by god how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus." What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Wow. So here's what I want to cover this morning. Three destructive things that legalism produces. Okay? Three destructive things that when... When you, uh, when you fall back into legalism, that it does to churches, to individuals, to relationships. First of all, legalism produces 
enslavement. There was a, uh, a reality show on TV. It's no longer on, but it was called Obsessed. It's about people who suffer from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And um, at first, you see some of these things that people struggle with, and it's, uh, you think it's uh, kind of funny, silly, and then you realize how tragic it is. There was one woman who somehow made the connection in her brain that germs are deadly, germs might kill her children, therefore she was obsessed with taking Windex and having to clean uh, the glass on all the pictures in her house obsessively all day long. Now at first you go, oh that's ridiculous, that's silly. But then they bring in a doctor to try and wean these people off of their obsessive compulsive disorder. And uh, so this woman is going upstairs to check on her kids and she stops and she's going to clean the, the, the glass and the doctor says, no, step away from the glass. And she falls on the ground weeping and sobbing. And the doctor says, what, what is wrong? And she says, I have to clean that glass. And the doctor says, why? What will happen if you don't clean the, uh, the glass? My children will die. And she's just wailing. And you realize this woman is enslaved to this ritual of, of cleaning the picture glass. Some of the other things on the show. Uh, Graham fears contamination and washes his hands 150 times a day. Cindy is obsessed with exercise and spends many unhealthy hours on the treadmill at the gym with free weights, leaving little time for her family. I've overcome that one. <laughs> Chad, a rock musician, is plagued with performing rituals. Okay, practice and getting the strings in order and, you know... Uh, and that take up most of his waking hours. He fears if he doesn't perform rituals, and that's their word. They use the word rituals. If he doesn't perform rituals correctly, something terrible will happen to him or his family. Now you go, well, that's interesting, Pastor Brian. What's that have to do with Galatians? What's that have to do with legalism? Well, these people have the irrational fear, the irrational belief that by performing some obsessive ritual, they can have some control over an uncontrollable world. That's what OCD is. If I, in my brain, I am convinced that by doing some little ritual, I can now bring control to an uncontrollable world. What's legalism? Legalism is the belief that we can appease God, or with pagans, the gods, that we can appease God by something we do. Legalism basically says, I can appease him and control the uncontrollable, through some ritual. The Mayans believed that the sun wouldn't come up unless 
Every day, they took the beating heart out of a human being and offered it to the sun god. Okay. Today, millions in India are enslaved to little idols that they must perform religious rituals to or something bad will happen. Now you go, yeah, pagans are ridiculous, aren't they? Under the umbrella of Christendom, and and the term Christendom doesn't mean true Christianity, it means that which purports to be Christianity. Under the umbrella of Christendom, millions are enslaved to rituals. Performing religious rituals thinking in their brains that these rituals give them some kind of control over God. Okay? Now, are all religious rituals wrong? No. We're commanded to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's a religious ritual. We are commanded to baptize believers. You know, you could say that singing, if you sing the same song twice, now it's a ritual. Okay, so there are certain things that we as a church do that are rituals. There are things in Scripture that are rituals. But here's the issue. Rituals combined with legalism, legalism, I can do something to appease God. I can do something to, con- to make God control my life. Rituals with legalism enslave people. Okay? I know people who have come to a gospel teaching church, a Bible teaching church like this. They hear the gospel. They hear about freedom in Christ. And you say, come on. And they go, no. I can't go there. I need the security of my rituals back at my other church. But you told me you're really not hearing the truth preached at your other church. I can't live without those rituals. They're they're enslaved to religious rituals. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. What's he talking about? Now, the Galatians were, were Gentiles. They were pagans. They practiced idolatry. They did their little rituals to the idols. And notice, it wasn't just, oh, it's tradition, we just go along. No, something happens that produces enslavement. Notice, he calls them that are by nature are not gods. Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, Idols are nothing 
They aren't real gods. But then he says, behind the idol are demons. Your enslavement to your religious ritual to that idol is really demonic possession or obsession or oppression. Okay? Now, where the OCD ends, the brain chemicals and the irrational thinking ends, and the demonic takes over, I don't know. But Paul is making a connection here between enslaving religious ritual activity and the demonic. Okay? But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, you see, Paul was a Calvinist. Right? It's not that you set out to know God, he set out to know you. Right? But now that you know God, let's not get sidetracked or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, they're not turning back to their idolatry. They're turning to Judaism. How do we know? Because he says you observe days and months and seasons and years. That's the Jewish calendar he's talking about. And there's circumcision and Jewish food laws. You know what Paul is doing? He is equating going back to the Jewish law with going back to pagan idolatry. Why? Because their motive is to appease God through religious rituals. Folks, whether it's pagan idolatry, Jewish food laws and calendar laws, or even Christian sacraments, if it's done with a legalistic motive to appease God, to earn salvation, to earn favor from God, it's all demonic. This isn't just, well, I prefer to worship a certain way and I like this church and I like this ritual and I miss my... Do you realize you're flirting with the demonic here? You know, um, I know some people who say, um, I can't break free from my church because of communion. Now, we celebrate communion here, but they've been brought up in a church that actually teaches them that communion is necessary for salvation. It's not just to remember what Christ has done for you. It is actually an active sacrament that brings you saving grace. Folks, that is a huge difference between celebrating communion to remember what Christ has done for you versus needing to do this ritual to appease God 
and to be saved. One is glorifying to him, the other is enslaving, and I'm going to say it, demonic. You can't say that, Pastor. That might offend people. I hope it does. We are talking about the glory of God. We are talking about people enslaved in fear. And you know what? Some of you are sitting here going, I have no idea what he's talking about. Because you were either raised in a liberal church or no church at all, and you're going, what do you mean? Others of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That fear, that oppression of if I don't do these religious rituals, God will be mad at me and I'll probably go to hell. And I'm calling you to break free of that slavery. Paul is calling you, break free from that demonic slavery. You know, um, in my office, I probably shouldn't have this, but I have a poster of uh, the Shawshank Redemption. It's a movie. This is red. It's Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman has been in Shawshank prison his entire life. And finally, at the end of the movie, he gets out on parole. And he's living in a halfway house. See, this morning's theme is prison. So he's living in a halfway house. He's in the same room that another elderly prisoner lived in. His name is Brooks. And Brooks hung himself in that room because he couldn't handle being free. Red has another friend who has escaped. And Red has to decide to live in fear, like Brooks, or to live in freedom, like his friend Andy. And here's a line from the movie. Terrible thing to live in fear. Brooks Hatland knew it. He knew it all too well. All I want is to be back where things make sense, where I won't have to be afraid all the time. I want to be back in prison. But he makes the choice to be free. Some of you want to go back to prison. Why do you want to go to prison and live under the fear of God? Live under the fear of rituals, and if I don't don't do it right, I'll go to hell. For some people, they can't even think in another category. But there's freedom in Christ. In fact, Paul commands you, Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Come out! from that enslaving religious ritualism that doesn't glorify God and stand firm on the rock of Christ alone for salvation. You can do it. And again, some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Others of you are, are you're, you're, like, you're like red. You're caught in between. Christ can set you free. Second thing that legalism does is it produces joylessness. Yeah, it'd be interesting to take a picture of some churches. Just 
joyless. And I guarantee you, there's a wave of legalism through those saints. Look at Paul says. He's going to recount the joy they had and the love they had for him when he first came and preached the gospel. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain, brothers. Uh, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. What does he mean? When I came to you, I shed the Old Testament law to preach the gospel to you Gentiles. Now, you're, you're going to those laws again. Would you please become as I am? Because I, I became as you are. And then he says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Um, I think we're going to see that his bodily ailment was some kind of an eye disease that made Paul um, not only need help, but made him disfigured and kind of gross looking. All right, so he's sick. How, how did God steer Paul to the Galatian region? Through illness. And through this illness, he ends up uh, needing their help, and he preaches the gospel. Okay? I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. And they could have said, hey, you gross apostle. Okay. But received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So when I first came to you, you bent over backwards to accommodate me, to, to minister to my needs. Okay? Then here's the key, verse 15. What then has become of the blessing you felt? What's happened to you? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's why many people think he had some kind of an eye disease. They would have given their very eyes to Paul. Now, um, the NIV, 1984 version. You've got all these different versions of the NIV now. Okay, I grew up on the 84 version. And um, this is what verse 15 says. What has happened to all your joy? You used to be loving toward me. Now you're, you're turning on me. You used to, uh, you would have torn out your eyes and now you think I'm a false teacher? What is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. Legalism turns the saints against one another. Legalism creates joylessness. Why? Because, look at the message before was this. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him. All your sins are paid for. God sees you as perfect. And you're going to heaven. There's assurance of salvation in the true gospel. The gospel that the false teachers were teaching is this. Believe in Jesus, but don't think that's enough. Get on the treadmill of works and rituals and food laws. And maybe, just maybe, you might escape hell. That's not the gospel. That, you know, that's what so many churches teach. Get on the treadmill. Of course your, your joy is zapped. 
You know, last week we talked about, uh, was it two weeks ago, we talked about it being Reformation Sunday. The Roman Catholic view of justification is a process. At infant baptism, justifying grace is poured into you. And then your entire life is, uh, you can lose some of it, you can gain it back, you need the sacraments to fill up with justifying grace, and then you can lose justifying grace. And at some point, if you commit a mortal sin, you lose your salvation and you need to be, uh, to go to, to confession and get re, re-upped. Okay? The biblical view of justification is, instead of the word process, it's a point The moment you believe in Christ, you are declared righteous based on his work, on his righteousness, not him plus the treadmill of sacraments and prayers and have I done enough? You say, I don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that what you're telling me is true. Let's go to the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent was after the Reformation, the Catholic Church got together, had a council, and they declared Protestants heretics. On the section on justification, Canon 24 says this, If anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and the signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. You're a curse to hell if you believe that you are saved by faith alone. You need to get on our treadmill if you truly want to be justified. So here, let's say this is a a graph. This is time. And this is your growth in holiness. Okay? And this is death. Here is, okay, here you're either baptized as a baby or you come to believe in Jesus and you're, you're growing over time, but you, you, uh, you commit some sins and you need to be, go to the sacraments and you're, there's growth and there's a steady upward thing. And then finally when you die, oh, by the way, when you die, you're not perfect. So this goes on into purgatory for I don't know how many hundred thousand or million years so you know what you get to look forward to when you die purgatory for an undefined amount of time because and you go where did they come up with purgatory if you have a wrong view of justification purgatory is necessary if your view of justification is that it's a process and you're not finally declared just until you're perfect, then you need a place to go to to get perfect. That's the Catholic view. Finally, when you're perfect, you get declared just. Here's the Protestant view. The moment you believe, you are declared just. Yep, you'll grow. You better grow or you're not truly saved, but this isn't what saves you. You are saved by faith alone the minute you trust in Christ. You go, where is that? Romans 5.1. Oh, I love Romans 5.1. Okay, and here's where a little bit of Greek helps. Okay. Therefore, since we have been justified, 
Not, not therefore, since we are on the treadmill of a, a justifying process, but notice it's a past tense. Since we have been justified. The Greek is aorist passive participle. You go, what does that mean? Passive, it's, it's something done to you. Aorist, done deal, complete action. Since you have already been justified, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Present active indicative. What's that? The present tense is continual action. Here's here's how you could translate it. Since your justification is a done deal, it's completed. It's not a process. You can enjoy continual peace with God. The other view basically has to say this. Well, since you're now on the process of justification, you might enjoy some moments of peace, (laughs) but you better sweat it out. Get on that treadmill, baby. Pastor, you can't be this forward. It's going to offend people. No. It's going to save people. It's going to rescue people. How are we going to save people with such a bland gospel that nobody knows the difference between truth and error, truth and heresy? But we want everybody to be satisfied. I'm sorry. I was called to preach the gospel, not to pacify and tickle ears so we can have a bigger parking lot. That gospel doesn't save. The gospel of the process of being justified doesn't save. It's a damning gospel from hell is what it is. The glory of the gospel is Jesus paid it all. You are saved by faith alone. Not get on the treadmill and sweat it out. All right, so how are we doing so far? Last thing. Manipulation. Legalism produces uh, ministers of the gospel who manipulate. Okay, Paul says this. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, the legalistic teachers, make much of you. In other words, they want to flatter you. They use flattery to try to win you over. See, their gospel doesn't save, so they have to resort to a trick. Flattery. But for no good purpose. See, their motive isn't sincere. They have a nefarious purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, they want to shut you out. Um, so, So here's the big picture. They flatter you that you may make much of them. They make much of you that, that you may make much of them. Basically, they want to flatter you so you will become part of their following and you will flatter them. Now, the shut you out thing is interesting. There's a lot of psychology going on here today, but, but here's, what, uh, here's what I think Paul is saying. Think of junior high girls. This is our group. We're the popular group. (laughs) 
If you want to be part of our group, we'll flatter you and you can flatter us. And if you don't want to be part of our group, well, you can't be part of our group. Okay, so it's kind of a, of a cat and mouse, kind of a, a little girl. It's childishness is what it is. And Paul says, can't you see that? But bottom line, you're falling for their flattery of you. But they want you to flatter them. Okay? So Paul goes on and he says, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. In other words, um, I, will, I, I speak well of you, Galatians. I, I don't flatter you, but I, I make much of you because I love you. Okay? And then he says, um, and not only when I am present with you, in fact, I have good intentions for you all the time. Okay? But notice the motive of false teachers is flattery. Or their me- I should say their method. Here it is. Their method is flattery. Their motive is to be flattered. There are millions of people in Christian ministry for the wrong reason. You know why they're in it? To gather a group of people around them to admire them. They're in it to be flattered. The approval of man is what they're after. Why? They don't have the approval of God. They don't have the approval of the Scriptures. So if they can gather a following around them that give them pats on the back, (coughs) excuse me, they can gather the crowd around them, then that makes it all worthwhile. Can you detect that? When you visit a church, can you detect that? Are they in it for the glory of God or are they in it to build a following? Here's two ways you can tell if a church is trying to manipulate you with flattery. One, um, cults have this thing that's called love bombing. Zero in on a new person and just shower them with love. I need some water here. Thank you. Sorry about that. So, um, you say, well, shouldn't we be friendly? Yes, be friendly, okay? But, but there's a difference between, say, hey, I'm glad you're here. And say, oh, we're so glad you're here. Here's our puppy. Here's a dog. Here's, here's a, our firstborn child. Oh, here's a pie we've baked for you. Oh, we're so happy. That's a little over the top. In fact, last night, before I go to bed, I always... I look at my, uh, my tablet, and I have a bunch of blogs I look at, and a recent survey was done. Top 10 reasons visitors don't come back to a church. You know what the number one is these days? Visitors hate the turn and greet your neighbor moment, like we have. <laughs> they hate that. It used to be... Um, we loved it. Now I guess people are like, we hate to turn and greet your neighbor. It makes them feel awkward and uncomfortable. Okay? But you know what's weird? The number two reason people don't come back to a church? Church is unfriendly. Now, you go, wait a minute. That's schizophrenic. No, no. 
It's not schizophrenic. It's the people can read whether it's genuine or not. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Oh, we, you know, let's bake them a pie. And the, you know, let's be friendly. Yeah, I, I once, I was the guest preacher at a church. And I walked in and everybody was in their little clicky group. And I remember walking through the entire church, nobody talking to me. You know, at, at least be as friendly as you would be to the mailman. Okay? But don't overdo it. Because people have, uh, have a detector, a phony detector. Why are you being so nice to me? Oh, I see you're after me for your group. Okay? You know what, visitors? I'm glad you're here. I hope I get to meet you. Have some Panera. Okay? But I'm not giving you my puppy. It's my puppy. Okay? So, so there's the whole love bombing thing that goes over the top, slobbering all over the... Pr- Give me a little space, okay? But then here's the second way you know a church is manipulating you. Excuse me. The preaching. It's possible to be legalistic in preaching. In fact, you know what? People love legalistic preaching. Hey, today we're going to give you five rules for how to have a better family. Oh, let me take notes on that. And it's all a bunch of legalism. But, in that type of preaching, the gravity of going to hell for eternity and being rescued by a God who had to be nailed to a cross is lost. If you don't regularly walk out being deeply convicted that you are a sinner deserving hell and God is a gracious God who was willing to die for you, they're flattering you. Because they're, what, here's what they're assuming. You're really not that bad. Little patch up, little bit of patch here and there. Helpful tips for a better life. And I'm not just talking the health, wealth, prosperity, gospel garbage. Jesus didn't die for you because you're a sinner. He died for you because you're a winner. Right? I mean, I, I would hope you can sniff that out. But does the church you go to keep in front of you the gravity of the reality of heaven and hell? The gravity of the reality that God needed to die an agonizing death on a cross? Was that sermon worth Jesus dying for is a good question to ask. Okay? So, um, legalism... You might think legalism is tough fire and brimstone preaching. No, legalism is not fire and brimstone. It's petty, burdensome, tedious. Shame on you for not living by all these rules we make up. And it's manipulative. Now, Paul ends with this. My little children, for whom I am again 
in the anguish of childbirth. Okay, so now Paul's pregnant. Okay. But the, but the idea here is he preached the gospel. And you, you know what? When I preach the gospel, I need to see if, it, if it's conceived, if, if it has produced a believer. So I'm kind of like a woman who's pregnant with child. Let's see if it's real or if it's just false pregnancy is what he's saying here. So I... You know what? I preached the gospel. I thought you were saved. But now I'm not so sure because you're falling for the legalism. So this letter, I'm going to write it to you and hopefully it's going to straighten you out. But now I'm, I'm in the pain of childbirth all over again. Okay? It is possible. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. It's possible for truly saved people to get confused about the gospel. But here's the real test. Now that Paul sends the letter calling out the legalism and clarifying the true gospel, what's the response going to be? The truly saved person will embrace the true gospel and reject the false gospel. That's what Paul's waiting on now. He wants to see the response to this letter. There are some of you who heard the gospel this morning. And you're going to say, no, I need those rituals. Thanks, but no thanks. Miscarriage. It's a shame, but it's a miscarriage. Paul is anxiously awaiting the response of, of the Galatians. He wants them to say, yes, we kicked out the false teachers and we've embraced the true gospel. But now, Paul, okay, if this isn't confusing enough, we have a man who's pregnant. He's again in the anguish of childbirth, but now he switches metaphors until Christ is formed in you. So now, <laughs> it's the Galatians that he hopes are pregnant. Okay? Um, by the way, what Paul is talking about here, you know, here today, like every church uses this term, spiritual formation. What are you doing for spiritual formation? You know what we're doing? We're teaching the ancient secrets of the monks. Sit in a room with a candle and chant this mindless prayer and you will feel closer to God. And there's all these spiritual disciplines that people are doing, a lot of it from, from Catholicism. This is the only place in Scripture that talks about spiritual formation. You know what spiritual formation is? Clarifying the gospel. How do you form people spiritually? You make sure they're solid on the gospel. And if it's true, if they're truly pregnant with Christ... Christ will be formed in them and grow. Yeah, they need preaching. They need the Bible. But all this emphasis on the mystical... You know what's going on? Because we're not preaching the gospel up front, we have to micromanage the process of discipleship 
and sell all these books and have all these seminars and people buy into it because maybe they're not saved to begin with. You know, when I got saved, I didn't need to be told to go to church. I didn't need to be told to read my Bible. I didn't need to be told to stop using Christ's name in vain. Christ was in me, changing me. Yeah, go to church, read your Bible, that's basic. But let's not fall for all these secret and mystical practices. It's not that complicated. Okay? So, he says, uh, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. He says, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be frustrated. You can tell my tone. You can tell my anger. Would you please abandon the legalism and rest secure on Christ alone? All right, let's pray.